Book 2, Chapter 14 of Two Treatises of Civil Government. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Ashwin Jain. Two Treatises of Civil Government by John Locke. Book 2, Chapter 14. Of prerogative where the legislative and executive powers are in distinct hands as they are in all moderated monarchies and well-framed governments there the good of the society requires that several things should be left to the discretion of him that has the executive power for the legislators not being able to foresee and provide by laws for all that may be useful to the community, the executor of the laws, having the power in his hands, as by the common law of nature, a right to make use of it for the good of the society. In many cases, where the municipal law has given no direction, till the legislative can conveniently be assembled to provide for it. Many things there are, which the law can by no means provide for, and those must necessarily be left to the discretion of him that has the executive power in his hands, to be ordered by him as a public good and advantage shall require. Nay, it is fit that the laws themselves should be in some cases give way to the executive power, or rather to this fundamental law of nature and government, viz that as much as may be, all the members of the society are to be preserved. For since many accidents may happen, wherein a strict and rigid observation of the laws may do harm, as not to pull down an innocent man's house to stop the fire, when the next to it is burning, and a man may come sometimes within the reach of the law, which makes no distinction of persons by an action that may deserve reward and pardon. It is fit the ruler should have a power in many cases to mitigate the severity of the law and pardon some offenders. For the end of government being the preservation of all, and as much as may be, even the guilty are to be spared when it can prove no prejudice to the innocent. This power to act according to discretion for the public good, without the prescription of the law, and sometimes even against it, is that which is called prerogative. For since in some governments the law-making power is not always in being, and is usually too numerous and so too slow, for the dispatch requisite to execution, and because also it is impossible to foresee and so by laws to provide for all accidents and necessities that may concern the public, or to make such laws as will do no harm, if they are executed with an inflexible rigor on all occasions and upon all persons that may come in their way. Therefore, there is a latitude left to the executive power to do many things of choice 
which the laws do not prescribe. This power, which is employed for the benefit of the community and suitably to the trust and ends of the government, is undoubted prerogative and never is questioned. For the people are very seldom or never scrupulous or nice in the point. They are far from examining prerogative, whilst it is in any tolerable degree employed for the use it was meant, that is, for the good of the people, and not manifestly against it. But if there comes to be a question between the executive power and the people about a thing claimed as a prerogative, the tendency of the exercise of such prerogative to the good or hurt of the people will easily decide that question. It is easy to conceive that in the infancy of governments, when commonwealths differed little from families in number of people, they differed from them too but little in number of laws, and the governors, being as fathers of them, watching over them for their good, the government was almost all prerogative. A few established laws served the turn, and the discretion and care of the ruler supplied the rest. But when mistake or flattery prevailed with weak princes to make use of this power for private ends of their own and not for the public good, the people were fain by express laws to get prerogative determined in those points wherein they found disadvantage from it, and thus declared limitations of prerogative were by the people found necessary in cases which they and their ancestors had left in the utmost latitude to the wisdom of those princes who made no other but a right use of it, that is, for the good of their people. And therefore, they have a very wrong notion of government, who say, the people have encroached upon the prerogative, when they have got any part of it to be defined by positive laws. For in so doing, they have not pulled from the prince anything that of right belonged to him, but only declared that that power which they indefinitely left in his or his ancestors' hands to be exercised for their good was not a thing which they intended him when he used it otherwise. For the end of government being the good of the community, whatsoever alterations are made in it, tending to that end, cannot be an encroachment upon any body, since nobody in government can have a right tending to any other end, and those only are encroachments which prejudice or hinder the public good. Those who say otherwise speak as if the prince had a distinct and separate interest from the good of the community and was not made for it. The root and source from which sprang almost all those evils and disorders which happened in kingly commons. And indeed, if that be so, the people under his government 
are not a society of rational creatures entered into a community for their mutual good. They are not such as have set rulers over themselves to guard and promote that good, but are to be looked on as in a herd of inferior creatures under the dominion of a master who keeps them and works them for his own pleasure or profit. If men were so void of reason and brutish as to enter into society upon such terms, prerogative might indeed be what some men would have it, an arbitrary power to do things hurtful to the people. But since a rational creature cannot be supposed when free to put himself into subjection to another for his own harm, though where he finds a good and wise ruler, he may not perhaps think it either necessary or useful to set precise bounds to his power in all things. Prerogative can be nothing but the people's permitting their rulers to do several things of their own free choice where the law was silent and sometimes too against the direct letter of the law for the public good and their acquiescing in it when so done. For as a good prince who is mindful of the trust put into his hands and careful of the good of his people cannot have too much prerogative, that is, power to do good, so a weak and ill prince who would claim that power which his predecessors exercised without the direction of the law as a prerogative belonging to him by right of his office, which he may exercise at his pleasure, to make or promote an interest distinct from that of the public, gives the people an occasion to claim their right and limit that power which, whilst it was exercised for their good, they were content should be tacitly allowed. And therefore he that will look into the history of England will find that prerogative was always largest in the hands of our wisest and best princes, because the people, observing the whole tendency of their actions to be the public good, contested not what was done without law to that end, or if any human frailty or mistake, for princes are but men, made as others, appeared in some small declinations from that end, yet was visible. The main of their conduct tended to nothing but the care of the public. The people, therefore, finding reason to be satisfied with these princes, whenever they acted without or contrary to the letter of the law, acquiesced in what they did, and without the least complaint, let them enlarge their prerogative as they pleased, judging rightly that they did nothing herein to the prejudice of their laws, since they acted conformable to the foundation and end of all laws, the public good. Such godlike princes, indeed, had some title to arbitrary power by that argument that would prove absolute monarchy the best government as that 
which God himself governs the universe by, because such kings partake of his wisdom and goodness. Upon this is founded that saying, that the reigns of good princes have been always most dangerous to the liberties of the people, for when their successors managing the government with different thoughts would draw the actions of those good rulers into precedent and make them the standard of the prerogative, as if what had been done only for the good of the people was a right in them to do for the harm of the people, if they so pleased. It has often occasioned contest and sometimes public disorders before the people could recover their original right and get that to be declared not to be prerogative, which truly was never so, since it is impossible that anybody in the society should ever have a right to do the people harm, though it be very possible and reasonable that the people should not go about to set any bounds to the prerogative of those kings or rulers who themselves transgressed not the bounds of the public good. For prerogative is nothing but the power of doing public good without a rule. The power of calling parliaments in England as to precise time, place and duration is certainly a prerogative of the king, but still with this trust that it shall be made use of for the good of the nation, as the exigencies of the times and the variety of occasions shall require, for it being impossible to foresee which should always be the fittest place for them to assemble in, and what the best season the choice of these was left with the executive power as might be most subservient to the public good and best suit the ends of parliaments. The old question will be asked in this matter of prerogative, but who shall be the judge when this power is made a right use of? I answer, between an executive power in being with such a prerogative and a legislative that depends upon his will for their convening, there can be no judge on earth, as there can be none between the legislative and the people, should either the executive or the legislative, when they have got the power in their hands, design or go about to enslave or destroy them. The people have no other remedy in this as in all cases where they have no judge on earth, but to appeal to heaven for the rulers in such attempts exercising a power that people never put into their hands, who can never be supposed to consent anybody should rule over them for their harm, do that which they have not a right to do, and where the body of the people or any single man is deprived of their right or is under the exercise of a power without right and have no appeal on earth 
then they have a liberty to appeal to heaven whenever they judge the cause of sufficient moment and therefore though the people cannot be judged so as to have by the constitution of that society any superior power to determine and give effective sentence in the case yet they have by a law antecedent and paramount to all positive laws of men reserved that ultimate determination to themselves which belongs to all mankind where there lies no appeal on earth with to judge whether they have just cause to make their appeal to heaven and this judgment they cannot part with it being out of a man's power so to submit himself to another as to give him a liberty to destroy him god and nature never allowing a man so to abandon himself as to neglect his own preservation and since he cannot take away his own life neither can he give another power to take it now let any one think this lays a perpetual foundation for disorder for this operates not till the inconveniency is so great that the majority feel it and are weary of it and find a necessity to have it amended but this the executive power or vice princes never need come in the danger of and it is the thing of all others they have most need to avoid as of all others the most perilous end of chapter 14 recording by ashwin jain